it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Hub City Homers. This is technically episode 62. We had two special episodes in between our last recording, episode 61 and now, being the Mike Leach episode and the Bull, Qual, uh, Bull Preview episode. The reason why we decided to split those out kind of differently is because, one, the Mike Leach episode was special and on face value, and two, the Bull Series one was kind of um, so specific to Bull, the Bull prep and not talking about basketball or any of the other things going on. So now we're back on track. We're back on our normal recording schedule for the year after kind of a weird break um, for the holidays for everyone to go spend some time with their family and just make it a little easier. It's a tough time to try to organize these recordings. Today, we're actually going to have two episodes coming out this week. This one will come out. This is specifically about the previous week of basketball, effectively. Um, we're we're going to have a football-specific episode talking the bowl game, recapping the season, looking ahead, all that jazz. But because of the, sh- the sheer amount of stuff going on in basketball every week with the game's um, starting to come into force now in Big 12 play. We felt it was best to talk just basketball for this one and then give football its day. That way you can you don't have to skip to a certain point of the episode or you don't have to cut it short or whatever. It's not too long. You can find the content you want and the podcast you want. I'm here with Kendall. Jack and Reed unfortunately couldn't be with us tonight. We're hoping to get them back on the next episode. Um, we're going to talk first we're talking TCU, then Kansas, and if we'll play it by ear on time, but we'll look ahead a little bit to OU. They are playing tonight against Iowa State. After a slow start, they're now pushing the Cyclones pretty hard. So we're going to start with the TCU game, though, just because uh, we'll just go in order. And TCU is kind of a frustrating game for a lot of people, and it should be. It's a game that I think most people feel like Texas Tech 
both not only should have won, but should have won extremely comfortably. That if Tech played well for a full 40 minutes, that they would have won in kind of a blowout fashion. But there is one other way to look at this, which is the fact that despite not playing well really in the second half, Tech still had opportunities to blow TCU out. And I want Kendall to talk about that. There are two areas in which Tech really let this game fall apart, and that was at the free throw line, at the turnovers. Let's start with the turnovers first. Kendall, what what are you seeing with this team and its its propensity to just turn the ball over and, and it, the, 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 the consequence being these long droughts of offensive production caused by kind of the, the disruption to the flow by these turnovers? Uh, I mean, the TCU game was, it was kind of hectic, but overall it seemed like we were starting to figure out something with the turnovers uh, towards the back end of non-conference play when we started playing, you know, some more of those cupcakes and offense really started to get going. But ultimately, I just think it came down to, you know, a lot of these guys, it was their first Big 12 game in the TCU game specifically. Um, you know, we have a lot of young guys, which I know everyone's sick of hearing the we're young excuse, but this is a specific reason you know a lot of these guys haven't played big 12 competition and tcu is one of the best um and most experienced big 12 teams you know we've seen teams completely struggle to start conference play in the past um you know tech teams have opened up pretty slow um against you know, especially teams like TCU, this isn't a first-time thing. Last year's team lost on the road at TCU in the same damn fashion. We had a lead. We blew it. It happens. But, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people were frustrated with the way the game went. But me, looking at it from a positive standpoint, we built up that lead, especially without Kevin O'Banner, which was great to see to me because it showed that we could play through other guys offensively and it really showed that we can specifically play through pop if we need to but it also showed to me though Daniel Bacho has not been the same guy that we're accustomed to um he obviously uh I don't know if I think he uh coach Adams said he has been sick the last week um it has shown on the court significantly Mm. and we're just hoping he gets better and gets back to form but you know, he wasn't there in either game this week for the most part, and that's not his fault. But, you know, overall, it was really nice to see guys like, you know, KJ step up. We had, um, you know, Robert Jennings has been really, really good in the spare minutes he's played. Um, we've had, like, obviously Pop has came in and he's just been a flamethrower at times when he's been out there. Um you know, offensively, there's some guys that just kind of haven't found it yet when they've been out there. Guys like, you know, Kerwin Walton, Demario Williams, um, that have been on a really short leash once they get out on the court. Um, and both TCU and Kansas game, both we saw both Williams and Walton come in at different points of the game and uh, kind of throw up some bricks and get pulled immediately after. So we kind of know where that stands. Um, Elijah Fisher... He's kind of, that TCU game, he kind of got in there. The KU game, uh, we really didn't see a ton of him. But I think this team ultimately is starting to find its footing, especially offensively. And it's weird because defensively is where we typically 
are known for tech basketball. Everyone knows the no middle, but this is just not your same Texas tech basketball team. Um, the turnovers sucked. Yes. But if we're being real turnovers, have always been an issue uh, for tech teams really last year. They were quite an issue very often. Um, the year before that, I felt they were a pretty big issue too. So, you know, it's nice, honestly, to me that when we're still turning it over, I feel like we're still scoring. And that was the case in the TCU game. You know, we turned it over and they started to slowly come back, but we were able to hold them off a lot longer than, you know, past tech teams have in those cases, because it's nothing new for tech to build up a double digit lead and then to blow it like to me, that's just kind of what I expect in a tech basketball game. Nothing comes easy in the Big 12. So, and it's exactly what happened again to start the KU game too, but we'll get to that. Um, what I'm more frustrated with more than the turnovers is the fact that we just don't have that same intensity we're typically used to d- defensively. Um, our rotations just seem slow. And to me, the team is just lacking a vocal leader on the court right now. I'm hoping Fardaz Amak can come in and be that guy. But we, re- to me, Kevin O'Banner is a great player, but um, I really just don't think he's that vocal leader. Uh, we need, and as much as I hate to say it, that's the guy last year. I feel like we had Bryson Williams, Kevin McCuller, hell, even Terrence Shannon when he was out there, I felt was a pretty good vocal leader. Um, but this team, as of right now, just doesn't have that guy that, when we are collapsing, can kind of bring everyone together, get heads leveled. It seemed like last night to me that Jalen Tyson was that guy in the Kansas game. So I'm hoping going forward we're not going to have an, as many issues with that. But, um, you know, the TCU game was really frustrating. But at the same time, that's a good TCU team. We're going to see... You know, the Big 12 is the best basketball conference. Uh, Road wins don't come easy. You know, we're probably going to build up plenty of leads like that this season and see plenty of leads blown. I'm not really getting too frustrated over that. Um, You know, there's a lot of basketball left to be played. It's a young team that is now finally starting to learn how to play together and how to play big 12 basketball and I think we're seeing it Um, and as much as part of me can be mad about that TCU game specifically um, I just wasn't because at the end of the day that's just sometimes how basketball works sometimes the shots don't fall I was a little more peeved with the fact that um, it seemed like late in that game we were doing the right thing offensively. We kept trying to go down low and get some easy buckets, but you know, there was a lot of contact down there that wasn't getting called. Um, you know, and I think more than anything, we weren't necessarily trying to make shots. We were trying to draw contact at, towards the end and it just wasn't working. And that's just sometimes how it works, but it ultimately kind of, we turned it over and, Mike Miles did what he does, and he's probably the best player in the conference. So, you know, hats off to TCU. They came back, and their offense was great in the second half. I think Tech ultimately just needs to move on, um, learn from that game, and I think they did learn a lot from that game. And 
Uh, just look for continued progression from this team. Uh, cutting down on turnovers is obviously a must, but newsflash, I don't think that's going to happen in the Big 12 because you got teams like Baylor, Iowa State, uh, Kansas, Kansas State that are all going to be sitting there turning over the like they turn everyone over no matter who you are so we're just going to have I think the turnovers are something that we're kind of going to have to deal with it's not going to go away anytime soon but this team's just got to keep fighting and I think they will um I think this is a tournament team and that was a tournament game in the against TCU that's a possibly a sweet 16 type of team so that team didn't get their head down and I don't think this team is going to be one to put their head down. They're going to keep fighting, and we just kind of got to fight with them a little bit as fans, I think. Yeah, I think that there's something to be said about with the turnover problem that, you know, not having a true, really, point guard besides Davion Harmon will hurt you from a turnover perspective, right? You're asking the guys who are touching the ball in this offense right now a lot on the perimeter are Pop Isaac and Jalen Tyson, and both are very young basketball players. But the, the my trouble with um, what's happening with the turnover situation is this guys like O'Banner and Bacho doing it, right? Like, O'Banner had a lot of turnovers against TCU. That was a very forgettable game for him. Um, you know, and, and when you're talking about veteran players making the same mistakes, it, it's hard to rationalize. And I think it, it starts to speak to guys pressing up against Kansas last night. You know, you got O'Banner still had four turnovers. Tyson had three. Bacho with one. Harmon, who you, I didn't expect this from, he's having a pretty rough start to Big 12 play. He had three. Um, on the bench, Allen was the only guy with one, right? It's like your starters are responsible for this. Um, you're not getting a ton of bench production, though it's great to see Washington start to come around, but your starters are turning the ball over at a very, very high rate. Um, you know, even Pop Isaacs, as good as he was, is still, he had, I think it was four against TCU, he had two against um, Kansas, right? Like, Tyson had, I think, five and three between the two games. Like, they're turning, they, they do a lot right, these two young guards, but the turnover problem is... is uh, is is hurting you pretty bad. Yeah, Tyson had three against TCU. Um, Isaacs had four against Kansas. Isaacs had um, two. Tyson had three. Right. So like the the, the I, I don't expect perfection. I expect you to be in the one to two turnover range as a guard on um, a bunch of assists. So I'm not saying that this, that to highlight those two is saying they're causing the whole problem. Like I said, O'Banner's had a buttload between two games. Harmon's had a lot. It's it's the entire starting lineup. The focus is on the two young guards because that's where everybody naturally assumes this is coming from. But it's coming from everyone. Um, everyone's having the same problem, and that's why I'm concerned. It'd be one thing if Isaacs and Tyson were still responsible for, like, half your turnovers. Because then you're going to say, okay, right, well, we have to play them. We can't give up their offense and their distribution. They're extremely talented. We're going to live through the growing pains. But guys like Harmon and O'Banner now, I think, have, like, 20 turnovers between the two of them in the last two games, if not more. And that that's hard, right, because those are veterans, O'Banner is an old man. Harmon is an old man. They should be better at this, um, and that's problematic. And part of it from Harmon's perspective and O'Banner's perspectives are just this sense that I think for both of them, they feel a lot of pressure to try to make the offense go at times. And I definitely have felt a lot this year O'Banner's forcing the issue. Um, when he hasn't had good games, he's forced it too much against um, Kansas. It, it, it seemed to be a little bit less him just trying 
desperately trying to make a play, him more taking what was there, and that the result showed itself. But these guys like, have to be better, right? Like, you just have to be better in the turnover department from your veterans. Because you're going to see the young guards turn it over three to five times a game, right? Like, that that's going to happen. Um, you're playing in a conference that prides itself on a lot of good defense. These two dudes are going to be in some trouble. So you need Harmon, your point guard, to be better. You need him to have clean games. You need O'Banner to be a lot better. Um, he was great against Kansas, but you want that turnover num- number down. He was not good against TCU, and, and in that game, you know, the turnover problem really jumps out when you're not playing particularly well, because then that means that you're you're just a detriment at that time. He had five against TCU. He's at nine in two Big 12 games. He was great shooting the ball. So much of the offense passed through him against Kansas that, of course, his numbers were going to be a little high, but against TCU in particular, right? Like, he, he was very much not a factor in that game. He was uh, six points, four rebounds no assists. So when you have five turnovers alongside those numbers, it's really stark. So that that's that's where I'm more concerned with the turnover issue. It's it's the two vets. The the freshmen are I think at this point we've all just resigned ourselves to saying it. They are young and will learn. And you're going to live with it, right? If nothing else, and this is the selfish side of it, if they're turning the ball over at a decent clip through the season, that likely means they've got to come back for another year um, anyways and won't just bail to go to the uh, the NBA draft, which is a win for Tech. And you're also getting the flip side of this is that they're both shooting the ball well, right? The turnovers are problematic, but both those two guys are doing well offensively. Davion Harmon, on the, on the other hand, um, you know, he's not supposed to be really your scorer, but you need points from him. You know, TCU, he had 13. Um, Kansas, though, he had uh, four, right? Like, you need a little bit more balanced scoring from him. He's kind of having a rough entry into Big 12 play. O'Banner had a flamethrower night against Kansas, was very non-existent against TCU. I think going forward, as we we move to talking about what happened to Kansas, we're going to talk about the officiating, but the other issue that I saw in both games, the other issue, I think you've taught, you mentioned this a little bit, is the defensive side of this. And the question that jumps to mind is just the reality is, does getting AMAC fix this? Does getting him back fix the problem defensively? So many second chance points against Kansas, a good deal against TCU as well. Um, but, you know, does having one more power forward defensive weapon to help Bacho out and spell him fix this? Are we just seeing, you know, are we just going to have to admit this year that maybe Tech just isn't there defensively as compared to previous years? You know, is this more like the early Chris Beard years, those first couple of defenses before Mark Adams really asserted himself, where they weren't bad defensively, they just weren't great. Um, are we seeing more of that? Can this be fixed? What do you? What are your thoughts, Kendall? I think it can definitely be fixed, especially with a guy like Amac. Not only because um, is Amac a good defender, he's a good rim protector, but just because he's a veteran that can, it's just another experienced guy out there that's been out there when um, things have gone bad for his teams. He's been out there through a lot of different situations. Um, And as weird as it is watching a tech team that almost seems like they're better offensively than they are defensively, it's also really encouraging to me. At this point in the season, with a young team, I would rather have defensive issues than a ton of offensive issues which there are offensive issues but most of those just stem from our turnovers because we're making shots we're getting good shots and you know early in the year against like eastern washington and those cupcakes uh that we played that we struggled against our offense to me 
really struggled to find. We were really stagnant. That is not the case anymore. I don't know what changed, but we are getting good looks. We are getting consistent looks that we weren't getting out in Maui and we weren't getting um, at home against you know the shitty teams we were playing. So now it comes to the defensive side of the ball. It's what can change there. To me, we tech it still looks the same. It's just we are almost watching a team that's a step slow on every rotation. It's almost like we're sometimes I feel like they try to anticipate too much and we've gotten burned, especially last night. Uh, there was a lot of wide open threes that um, I think were caused just due to us trying to jump passing lanes, giving guys like Jalen Wilson um, and Dewan Harris wide open shots. But that can be fixed, and I think it will be fixed because obviously Mark Adams is in a we everyone knows he is a defensive mastermind. Like he is the guru of this. And should should we have expected more when this team had a full offseason together? Maybe. But when you haven't played in this type of defensive system, like a majority of these players have it, including AMAC. But, um, you know, obviously Pop Isaac, Davion Harmon hasn't even played in a defensive system like this. Um, half Like, the only guys that really have are Jalen Tyson, which he didn't get a lot of game action with this. He got, you know, he just had to learn and practice. Um, Kevin O'Banner was obviously in it last year, and Daniel Bacho was in it last year. But looking at the rest of the roster, none of these guys have been you know, acquainted to the no middle for a really long time. And it takes a little bit of time to gel. Last year, we had Kevin McCuller, Terrence Shannon Jr. Um, and a lot of like players that don't just guys, good glue guys that knew the system and could help other guys learn it. This year, we really had two bigs that could not help the guards out very much when it comes to the no middle. So Mark Adams is teaching a lot of these young guards, you know, the system, how they should defend. And you can see it out on the court, especially with guys to me like Lamar Washington and Pop. Those two, if you watch what Mark Adams is doing with those two defensively, just watch how he communicates with them and how they respond to him and the way he's coaching. They want to be good defenders. They want to fight and be really stingy and almost be menaces out there on the defensive end. And they're they're really damn close. You know, I think that this team is really, really close defensively. We saw it towards the end of the Kansas game, specifically when they needed to get stops so they could come back and have a chance to fight in that game. They caused turnovers. They forced some missed shots. They made life hell. And that is what we're accustomed to in Texas Tech basketball. So if we can take what was happening towards the end of that game and just use it and push forward, especially starting in the OU game, um, I think this team is going to start winning basketball games and they're going to win them efficiently because the offense is already there. Kansas is a really good defensive team. You know, with Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCuller um, at kind of leading their defense, that team is right up there with some of the best defensive teams in the nation. Tech put up 72, probably should have put up more, but we'll get to that. Um, And that was with 
you know, we were making shots, but we were getting the open shots because of the way we moved the ball. And that is something that tech teams in the past just haven't been able to do. Even when we went into our, I guess some would call them droughts, they weren't what we typically see with tech because Kansas was making just some insane shots from beyond the arc. A lot of them were open, but like a guy like Dewan Harris, who since last season in that national championship wasn't known as a shooter whatsoever. Um, that's a guy that you let him shoot and you live by the results. Well, he went five for five from three. So not much you can do about that. Jalen Wilson is not a highly efficient three-point shooter. Um, he made a couple last night. He made a couple really big ones uh, early in the game that kind of limited Tech's momentum when we got out to an eight-point lead. You know, you kind of live with him making threes. You, as a team, there's every anybody who's played basketball knows when you're going through a scouting report, there's certain guys that you point out and say, you let him shoot, you let him shoot. Dewan Harris was one of those guys yesterday. Like, that's just kind of what the facts were. You saw how many wide open looks. I think Tech was willing to live and die by that. And, um, you know, they did eventually die by it. But defensively, I think this team's right there. They're really damn close. Obviously, the defensive rotations have to be better. We got to get a little more hectic. Got to make things a little crazier. But, you know, they're right there. And I think that there's a lot to build off of from this Kansas game, especially at the end of it. And I think Mark Adams will. He'll go and look at the film, see what happened, see what they can do better. And I think we're going to see a team that's ready to win um, against Oklahoma. But it's if we're stating the facts, it's a team that should have won against Kansas. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So when I look at the Kansas game and think about the defensive side of the ball, I think one of the things is it is unique to Kansas how effectively they've attacked the no middle, right? Like it's it, it has been the case every game against KU that they seem to just excel at being able to swing the ball sideline to sideline more so than almost any team in the conference. Um, you know, I, I haven't loved the defensive effort this year. I felt like we've been, like you said, kind of the best way to describe it, a step slow. Um, and 
that's unusual. Normally, with the Mark Adams defense, feels like it's already there by the time a defense, an offense makes a decision. But what KU did was still unique, and you only gave up 75 points, right? Like Texas just got torched for 116, so it's not like it can't be worse. I think the expectation for defense is so high, and now under Mark Adams, is that's why we're 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 even talking about this at all. But it is just kind of reality when you you everybody looks a little bit discombobulated at times. I mean, I think part of that comes from not having a true floor general. Um, you know, O'Banner doesn't seem particularly suited to that kind of role on the defensive end. You know, he's, he, I don't want to say he's a bad leader. He, he seems like he's a very active veteran presence who's helping this team grow and keep it together in the face of adversity. I just mean that, like, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's really out there calling out their rotations and pushing people around when they're out of positions. I, saw, I actually saw a little bit of this from Isaacs, like, screaming at Lamar Washington to get, in, get into his spot. And the other side of this is you are rotated in guards like, Washington, Fisher, Kern Walton, these guys who just are not high-level defensive talents yet, and can be. They just aren't there yet. Um, the other part of this is Bacho's not particularly well-suited to switch all five spots, um, which is a huge component of the no middle. He's moving very well, but he's banged up right now. He's tired. And it shows. He just looks a little slow the last few games. It's hurting you on the rotation, and teams are taking advantage of that. Um the other side of this is that you also don't have the guards that you've had in the past that are so tall and lengthy that you can post up underneath, right? Like, how many times did KU go to KJ Adams underneath when they got the matchup? Because you just don't have that same, it was like the Clarence Naldoni habit of being able to just harass the shit out of that little inlet pass and keep it from happening, right? Like, Tech has been so good denying that in years past, it's taken away the only disadvantage this defense has which has been the last few years no true shot blocker um this is where i think getting amac back can significantly help because i think he's the guy you put him in you start to be able to deny a lot more of what teams want to do you can rest bacho up help him because late in games he just gets so gassed um especially now that he's i mean the dislocated finger whatever it was is new but he's had the knee the ankle he's been sick i mean it's we're just he's been asked to do so much that it's hurting him. It's hurting him offensively and it's hurting him defensively. Um, <clears throat> but when you get AMAC back, I think some of that burden gets taken off. Now, when we're talking about the KU game, obviously the officiating jumps out. The last sequence in particular. Um, I'll let Kendall talk a little bit about this in general, um, kind of his thoughts on, on what he saw in that specific play. But what I'm going to say is this. The hardest sport to officiate by, by a wide margin is basketball. It is far more difficult than football. It's not even in the same light year of difficulty as baseball. It is extremely difficult to call a, a basketball game. It is You have to be on the ball constantly. That's why there's three guys out there watching ten guys. Um, you know, it, it, it requires both a high level of anticipation, understanding what should happen in a basketball game, and also just really good kinetic vision, seeing what's coming, seeing what's, what, how players are supposed to move, and really getting a look at it. That being said, the number one conference in basketball for the last seven years has been the Big 12. And the conference's officiating has gotten steadily shittier, almost without fail. And it, it's hard to understand. Nobody wants to be an official because they get yelled at and all this jazz, and I'm not even one of those people who's like, well, why don't, we talk, why don't officials have to be more accountable? If we made them more accountable and put them in media days, you'd have even less qualified officials because guys would never survive to make it to the big time. My problem is, is that the accountability needs to be had in the officiating training and law, in the conference offices telling these guys what they're screwing up and fixing it. I mean, I, I, I don't know what, what the crew was seeing. 
Like, it, it looked like they were blind against Kansas. Um, you know, and I know Kansas fans are like, well, the, the fouls were distributed and unevenly. So because Kansas did its work around the arc. That That's just what happened. Kansas took advantage of softness around the arc and did not drive as often. When they did, sadly, they found some open lanes and took advantage of it. Tech got hacked to death underneath, alternatively, because they had to go inside. They had to. Because they just don't move the ball around the arc as effectively as Kansas does. They can't create space that way. Um, the other side of this, though, is that I don't ask for perfection. I ask for consistency, and I ask for decent officiating. You're not getting that. Um, you're just not. This was a really poor display by the officials. When even Fran Franchilla has to say that you didn't do your job, something's wrong. Because Fran loves to talk about how good he thinks Big 12 officials are. And when even he's like, I don't know what they're looking at. This wasn't a good week for them. You know, there's a problem. Um, the jump ball is one that I think some people brought up later. I, I don't know what the hell you're looking at. He grabs both arms and yanks him down. I mean, the the, the, the constant banging whenever Tech went up for a rebound. The, 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 the Kevin McCuller lowers the shoulder every single drive. I mean, it it's just baffling how bad they were in this game. And Kendall, I just want to get your two cents on that final sequence. You know the one I'm talking about. What did you see? What got missed? So, I mean, it was pretty clear what Tech was trying to do. They were trying to set up a pick and roll with Pop. And uh, Daniel Bacho trying to either get a switch or just get kind of, if they got the switch, I think they were just going to have obviously pop lob it up to Bacho for an easy layup. And if they didn't get the switch, pop was just going to go straight to the rim. Well, here's the thing. They didn't get the switch. Bacho was trying to roll down and he gets literally essentially yanked almost across the lane and tackled, which that that's just one that has to be called because not only does it screw what tech was trying to do, it takes everything out of the play because you have two, a guy that's seven foot laying down in the lane because he got tackled. So any chance that pop would have had to try to get, around all that to get to the rim was taken away because Bacho got hacked. And then I think, you know, the play on pop, I'm not, I don't, I'm not mad that that's not called a foul because, you know, he, it, it was just a weird play. I don't necessarily think the KU defender did anything to make him fall. I think that was more caused by Bacho, um, you know, being down on the ground, getting the floor slick. And I think both players just kind of lost their footing. But that fucking play on Bacho, excuse my language, but that play on Bacho, that has to be called 10 times out of 10 because not only is it a foul every time the way he pulled him down, but that can just get dudes hurt. And it did get Bacho hurt because subsequently it resulted in a turnover and a stupid-ass play where um, Adams got a dunk on the other end. And it... It's so infuriating to me because on that specific play, it takes away any chance that Tech had to score because there wasn't really another option to kick it out. You know, Pop Isaacs ends up on the floor and Jalen Wilson was trying to foul him. You can't convince me any differently. Wilson was trying to foul Bacho because he wanted to send, I guarantee he wanted to send Bacho to the line, gives KU time to get a play on the other end. And 
Higgins just didn't call it. There was a guy right under the hoop looking directly at that play, and he doesn't call it. And it's just so infuriating. And you know that you effed up when Mark Adams is even saying something about that specific play in a press conference. That dude, more times than not, will blame his own team and blame his coaches and blame himself before he will blame any sort of officiating. And the fact that Coach Adams is there saying there should have been a call, and obviously Fran Fischilla saying there should have been a call, Seth Greenberg after the game saying there should have been a call, like there's got to be a call because that is a dangerous play, to, in my opinion. And I see a lot of Kansas fans, they're co- pulling up. Um, You know, there was a charge that McCuller tried to take a couple plays before that. And yes, there was plays on both ends that could have been called differently but at the end of the day I feel like a lot of referees swallow their whistle at the end of game situations when there is more fouls that happen on those plays than anything else and a lot of refs mindsets are you want to let the players decide the game well Jalen Wilson was trying to decide the game by fouling Daniel Bacho to send him to the line and You know, we don't know if Daniel Bacho would have made free throws. Like, that is an iffy situation for Bacho. He's not a great free throw shooter. But the fact that he didn't get the opportunity to make the free throws was just BS. When Jalen Wilson was trying to foul him, I guarantee you the timeout before that, Bill Self was telling his his players if there's a specific guy to foul, it's Bacho out there. Because... If it was looking like there was going to be any sort of mismatch, just send him to the line. Because that was a mismatch. If Pop gets the ball to Bacho, he more times than not is going to score that layup because of the height advantage. Like, it's just so baffling to me that they don't call that foul in that instance. And the, I'm not saying the same thing happened against in the Kansas Oklahoma State game, but it, something damn near pretty close happened because. Um, I think the o- or Oklahoma State player had the ball stripped, but his arm was very clearly grabbed down low. Like These are game-deciding plays in the Big 12, and I don't care if there's 20 minutes left in a half or there's one second left in a half. If there's a foul, there's a foul. Like Referees, to me, around the country, every sport, we're seeing decisions that are made that, oh, they don't want to call that because it's towards the end of the game. And I hear commentators all the time say, oh, you can't call that in that situation. Like the targeting call in the USC Tulane game or like uh, the non-targeting call in the Michigan TCU game. It's like, I don't give a shit what point of a game there something happens. If it's a foul, it's a foul. If it's a penalty, it's a penalty. Like stop this BS that, um, that you can't call something specifically because of where you're at in the game. It does not matter where you're at in the game. You have to call things that, like, that's why the rules are there. And when there's textbook fouls being made, like a guy getting tackled in the middle of the paint, like, you have to call that foul 10 times out of 10. These refs, they effed up. And, uh, you know, I'm one to say that Higgins group is probably one of the better, if not the best crew in the Big 12. I know a lot of people... Um, most of the time think that 
KU has Higgins in their back pocket, which, you know, times that's true, but typically I think that Higgins crew is one of the better groups in the Big 12, if not the best. But they effed up big time at the end of this game, and they deserve to hear about it. As much as I know that refs get way too much shit, they deserve to hear about this. They deserve, you know, the Big 12 needs to come out and kind of just address it because it's a little insane to me. And not only did they miss that one, but I also do think they missed a call um, on O'Banner on his made layup to cut it down to one. That should have been an and one also because that was a very clear block. But I and Tech didn't lose the game because of one specific call. We turned the ball over quite a bit, but the officiating towards the end of the game has to be better. You can't you can't just let these dudes be banging down low because people are gonna get hurt. Uh, subsequently, Daniel Bacho did get hurt, and we should probably be looking at Tech at least being one and one, or at least getting a game in overtime. But instead, we're sitting here with a 75-72 loss, and all we can do is speculate on what would have happened if that foul is called, which is BS because we, I think us as fans deserve to see what would have happened and deserved a chance to see Tech win. Yeah, it's it. the woulda, shoulda, coulda stuff of it all is like Tech should not be in that position in the first place, right? Like, you, you, you absolutely should never leave the game in the hands of the officials, shouldn't leave in the hands of the referees in football, shouldn't leave in the hands of the umpire in baseball. You absolutely have a responsibility as a team that if you want to avoid getting screwed, you just got to do it. You have to do it yourself. But the, the, the thing about it that really bothers me is, so officials are taught two things. First, call a tight game early on. You want to call the game in, at its tightest in the first half. The reason being is because that's when the, everyone's settling into the game um, and you want to set the tone as an official. I'm not saying you go over the top and call ticky-tacky stuff, but the, the, the most correct call should be made in the first half to set the tone and let players understand what's coming. Once you find a good balance and you feel like the teams are settling in, you can loosen up a little bit late. Um, this isn't to say that you start calling an inconsistent game, but you start to allow teams to bang a little bit more. You don't call quite as much because once teams know that you will call them for certain fouls, they start doing it. Here's the thing. Lamar Washington, I watched him. When he realized that the officiating crew was not going to penalize Kansas for how aggressive they were being defensively in a lot of situations, he extended the defense further out. His hands were a lot more active. As an officiating crew, you don't want to see that, right? Because it it leads to people playing out of control. leads to more touch fouls getting missed, and it leads to a lot more aggressive, a lot more wild game. You want, at the essence, you want the game to be played by the rules, which is limited contact. Um, You're not going to call every foul. And the whole point as an official is you want to get to the point where you're controlled the game so well that you don't have to call that many fouls for the teams to stay in line. So when you miss one, it's not that big of a deal. Um, the other thing is you never want to miss the egregious call. That, that's the, the, the biggest thing officials are caught. The easy calls have to be made because you're going to miss the hard ones. Block charge is going to get missed at least 30% of the time, if not more. Right? Like That is a true toss-up judgment call and it is really hard to get right every time so you need to make sure that when the easy calls are there that that the jump ball is a great example there's two officials staring at it they call jump ball because the guy on the back end who can't see the hands decided it was a jump ball we got three officials two of which should have been watching that zone the guy who made the call was the one who should not have been watching that zone 
So that was outrageous. You've got the calls at the end. The Bacho hook and hold, like, that's a dangerous basketball play, right? Like, we're trying to remove that play from the game because you're he just yanked him down, right? Like, it, it is a really obvious foul, and it can't be missed. The Isaacs contact's a little bit more questionable, but by the rule of the game, Isaacs got mucked, right? Like, he got banged up. And I saw some Kansas fans saying, well, he used an elbow. He used an elbow because his path got cut off. The defender stuck his leg out so Isaacs couldn't run by him, which you can't do. Defenders are entitled to the spot, but Pop Isaacs beat him to the spot, and he just shoved him out of the way. So both of those are calls that have to be made. The Bacho one absolutely cannot be missed, because I'm not going to get mad about you got a block charge wrong. Like I want to see you get it right, but I understand. I'm going to get mad when in a game-winning situation, when you're staring, you have a direct line of sight on the play, and your job, by the way, here's the biggest thing that fucking pissed me off about that, is what happened was that official took his eyes off where he was supposed to be watching, and he watched the ball. That official's job was to watch what was happening in the middle of the paint. The guy underneath's job, and in particular as well, is to watch what's happening in the middle of the paint. Two officials got sucked in by the action up top. Neither one was paying attention to their correct zone. As a result, they missed a call. And look, who knows the Bachos would have hit either of those free throws. He might have missed the first one, and the game could have ended anyways. But they're, the, 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 uh, you know, not to you know soapbox about this, but it is happening too often that Kansas is benefiting from this. And you have to start to wonder to what degree are the Big 12 officials trying to protect their blue blood. And that's what pisses everybody off the most. It's the sense that if you're not KU, you can't benefit from this. It's not even necessarily that true. Everyone's going to benefit from one of these. I've seen Tech benefit from plenty of these. But it, it, this is twice in one week a, a really obvious foul calls not made that would have changed the outcome of a game potentially and that's unacceptable and now I'm, I'm seeing it happen OU Iowa State you've got the same crew getting yelled at for the same stuff and this is why they have to be accountable because somebody should have sat them down and told them what happened and told them if we see it again you're going to start losing minutes on the floor you, you, you got players are accountable. Coaches are accountable. The officials just don't seem to be. I don't mean that they need to get yelled at by the media or the fans. That's not a fair and balanced environment. I guarantee you the uh, uh, Lubbock Avalanche guys or some of the other Lubbock reporters would have torn apart that crew unfairly over that call. That's not the environment they need to face scrutiny. They need to face scrutiny from the guys who know better, which are the other officials in the league, the league officiating office, and the league main offices need to be saying, here's what you're doing wrong, here's what we're going to do if it doesn't get fixed. Now, I want to talk about one other part of the Kansas game, which is the fact that Tech has not yet played a complete basketball game. Both against Kansas and TCU, there were stretches in which Tech looked like a top-flight Big 12 team, and then there were stretches where they looked completely incompetent. In both games, leads were choked. The TCU one's far harder to stomach because it was an entire half of good play followed by a half of bad play. Kansas is more kind of like a game of runs. You weren't going to knock Kansas out with one big run. But in both situations, we've seen it. The offense stagnating. It gets stuck. They start to stand around too much. Kendall, what's your, you know, what's your potion to fix the offensive flow? How do you get yourself out of those droughts if you're Texas Tech? Um... You know, we I feel like we've been asking this question for years. And I feel like the the more recent droughts have been I guess more survivable than in the past because we have a couple guys that can kind of just rise up and nail a three. Whereas last year I just feel like we didn't have as many, you know, guys that could do that. But you know, I keep circling around in my mind to 
everything kind of circles back to a guy like Fardaz Amak. And I think that's true because think back to last season. Who did we go to every time we had a drought and every time we needed a bucket? It was Bryson Williams. Well, to me, Fardaz Amak and Bryson Williams are two very, very similar players. Um, Amak's a little bigger. Uh, you know, I think he's definitely started to develop his three point shot um, even further than what he had last season. So I think we're going to see a very good shooter. Um, I think he can be a little more physical down low than what Williams could because um, he just has a bigger frame. So a guy like Fardaz coming in, it's going to change a lot. People need to realize that th- that guy, you know, we can only stress it so much that tech needs him. When I say we need like tech needs him, that's not like, uh, Oh, it'd be nice to have him. No, like, this team needs a guy like him because, you know, Kevin O'Banner, he is great. To me, I think he is 10 times better when he is not the go-to option. I think he is a lot better when he is a guy that defenses can't necessarily strictly focus on because there's other threats around him. The only other threat that I only other threats right now that I think guys are really, really worried about as coaches are Pop Isaacs and occasionally Jalen Tyson. But to me, with Tyson, um, they're not as worried about him because a lot of the fo- top forwards in this league are very, very good defenders. And they're guys that, like, they they will they'll live and die by ta- having him be guarded one-on-one. And that's why he is effective at points and sometimes he's not as effective. Jalen Wilson last night, that was... Very clear, you know, Tyson made an insane three-pointer in the second half, um, and he made some crazy shots, uh, some great contested shots, but those are shots that people are going to give him. And, you know, everything when a guy like Amac is in there is going to open up because defenses will have two options when he touches it down on the post. They'll either be able to collapse, which will give guys like Davion Harmon, Pop Isaacs, and Jalen Tyson, and Kevin O'Banner, all four of them, it'll give them more shots, like more open looks outside, or they can let uh, AMAC go one-on-one down low, and guess what? There is not many guys in this league that are going to be able to guard Fardaz AMAC one-on-one in the post. Just like there were not, there was little to no one last year that could guard Bryson Williams down low in the post one-on-one. And that is why Tech got to the Sweet 16 last season. And I think that is why Tech is going to take a big jump when he gets here, when he is able to play, which I'm hoping is within the next week or two. Because, you know, once this team gets to full strength, once we really get to see what they're made of, that's when the fun really gets started. Because everyone knows, I think everyone in the Big 12 knows that Tech right now is kind of a sleeping giant. And we're right there already. So we're about to add a guy that can score 20 and 13 a game. Like, to me, that is a cure for offensive woes and offensive droughts. Is a guy that can come in and get look you in your face and tell you, I'm going to score on you and he's going to go score on you. 
that's the type of guy Tech is getting with AMAC, and that's the type of guy that's going to turn this team around, and it's going to make everything flow so much smoother, and I think we're going to see a completely new Texas Tech basketball team. And I hate to just be like, oh, just wait, just wait, we're missing a guy. But that truly is, you know, Mark Adams, when he was putting together this year's team, I guarantee you his number one focus was Fardaz AMAC. Because there's a reason this guy was looked at as the number one transfer in the country. Like, there's a reason this guy is so highly touted by just about any analyst that has talked about him. It's because he's an elite basketball player that has pro potential, just like Bryson Williams did last season. Except I think he's better than what Bryson Williams was coming into tech because I think he's a better scorer. And I think he's just the fact that he's bigger gives him a little bit more of an advantage. So, I we can keep harping on what we are missing, what's going on offensively and defensively, but I'm not 100% ready to completely judge this team until we see this team with Fardaz Amak. Yeah, it's it's tough. His timeline originally, for those of you who remember, is Mark Adams had hoped to have him back now, basically by TCU was the idea, um, and then pushed a little bit later to. I believe like January 4th, the Kansas game, uh, second, excuse me, the Kansas game um, right before. But in either situation, I don't think he would have played in these two games anyways. Um, if you got him back on the original timeline, I can't imagine they'd be in a huge hurry to rush the guy in. It takes a while to get back up to conditioning. But the, it is true that without him, Tech is missing a, a key cog. Because that that's the thing. You went and got him because he was so important to what you wanted to do this year. And then he gets hurt unexpectedly, and that just throws a loop into your planning. And you can't really undo you know, months of planning because you just – I think Tech has one open roster spot that could technically fill for with a mid-year transfer. There's a guy – there's a couple of guys I'm sure they're looking at, but they're, they're eligible next year, guys. You're not going to be able to fix this year's problem without the guy you went and got – to help fix this year's problem. Um, you know, it'd be like, imagine if Tech didn't have Davion Harmon, right? We'd be in a similar boat. Even if AMAC was here without Harmon, we went and got the guy to be a point guard. So if he wasn't there, you'd be in a similar situation. So when you lose a key cog like that, it's tough. You know, this is a year in which Tech had to turn a lot of, it's it's the new thing in the transfer portal year. I get it. It's part of being a head coach. But you had to turn a lot of your roster, and you lost guys like Terrence Shannon and Kevin McCuller. Um who would have helped fill some of these gaps. Terrence Shannon in particular would be a huge benefit to this team. Um, Kevin McCullough would have been as well. Both those guys would have filled key roles, giving you critical minutes, and you'd be better with both of them. Now, I'm going to say this about the McCullough transfer thing. I know there's mixed opinions. The only thing I'll say about this is he got the reception I think he deserved in Lubbock, and I'm, I, I, I didn't think that the fans acted inappropriately. Um, you know, he went to an in-conference rival. We talked about this when it happened, but you live with that. I don't wish the kid ill will, but I hope he scores nothing, and I'm not rooting for him, and he's not a Red Raider, right? Like, that's 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 the end of the story. You went to a conference rival. So the, he got the reception he expected. He should have expected. But it is no – I'm not going to pretend that we wouldn't be better with him, right? Like, I'm not one of those people. If you had him and Terrence Shannon, you would be better. It sucked to lose those two guys, and not having AMAC has compounded that problem because – 
they would have helped your guards out a huge deal, which might have made things a little bit easier on Bacho underneath. Um, if AMAC was here, you'd have a lot less pressure on your guards, right? Like AMAC is, a, is the kind of guy who demands attention from defenses, and not only that, he helps with your rebounding in a big way. He was a top rebounder. He helps you defensively. He spells Bacho. He just opens up so much of what you plan to do, and you don't have him. So, I, I mean, it is fair to say that we can't judge this team yet because you're not going to be at full strength without him. But you just don't have the time to wait on him, I think is the problem. You know, the, the Big 12 is not going to wait on your best player to come back or a guy who could be your best player to come back. You know, O'Banner is going to have to find a way to be more consistent. Isaacs needs help from Tyson and Davion Harmon and the bench. Crowan Walton's been off all year. Lamar Washington looked like he's starting to figure it out. Elijah Fisher clearly behind the eight ball a little bit, but striving towards it. If you start to get more from some of these guys to help pop Isaacs out, then things will get smoother. If O'Banner can just settle in and not force the issue every game and let it come to him, you can see more performances like against Kansas, where you can see a lot more of that, more 20-point games. Um, and then when AMAC gets back, the offense will t- kick into a next gear. So will the defense. You just don't have time to wait for him. So in the meantime, you got to do stop gaps. And the number one thing you can do is um, move the ball. Right, like there's way too much standing around offensively, way too much dribbling around the arc. Fran pointed out numerous times, um, ad nauseum, how often Tech just looked like they were dribbling around the arc and trying to drive one on one. Kansas demonstrated what offenses should look like: swing the ball around, move the ball around through the air, look for the open man, find the hole in the defense, and attack. Um, and I think if Tech does that more consistently, right? Like the offensive production's been good. It's the droughts that are killing you. It's the the, 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 the stretches where you go you know, five minutes without really being effective offensively that are killing you. If you can limit some of that, you've got the shooters now, right? Like Mark Adams went and got the shooters we all wanted to see and brought them to Lubbock. So you just have to be better on that side of things. And then when AMAC gets in, you can start to unlock what you really want to do with your offense, which is a lot more pick-and-roll stuff, a lot more feeding the block, a lot more um, one-on-one drives because he's going to drag people out. They have to pay attention to him. is going to be more rested, which will give him more ability to be explosive offensively um you know it the, everything will get better it's just finding a way to survive until you get there because look we don't have a clear timeline on amac right like we, we just don't um mark adams isn't going to provide one until he's reasonably confident he's ready to go hopefully that's soon and if it's not you just have to keep surviving oklahoma saturday this episode ran a little long so we don't have time to get into that but i do want to say that that is a critical game for texas tech OU just lost to iowa state um they pushed the cyclones very very hard at home so you know every game in the big 12 is going to be a battle but getting that first big 12 win against the sooners seems critical you know, you've you just played two of the better teams in conference. I'm a little uncertain on TCU, but no doubt Kansas will be competing for the championship. So, you know, you need to win this game against OU that's more in the middle. It ain't going to be easy, but you can do it. You just have to do the little thing, things better, and the team has so much potential to do that. As Kendall's been talking about this entire day, you know, I think you can sum up his argument and some, most of mine is just you're like one step away from greatness. You just have to take it. And if you don't take it, you may not make the tournament this year. The Big 12 is too good to mess around. But if you do take that step, you really can do some damage. There's so many league games left. There's the SEC Challenge. There's the Big 12 tournament. And then if you just take care of business, take that step, there is no limit to what you can do in the NCAA tournament. You are not wanting for talent. You just have to put it all the pieces together for 40 full minutes of basketball. But uh, we're going to end here. Like I said at the start, we will have a football episode to talk about the bowl game. 
And more importantly, just kind of talk about year one under Coach McGuire and talk about things such as where do we go from here? What does the recruiting class look like um, coming in? What should we expect for year two under Coach McGuire? Way too early expectations. But that'll be coming out later this week. I hope you guys enjoyed tonight. Once again, I was joined by Kendall. We'll hopefully have Jack and Reed on the next episode. Thank you all for listening. Feel free to hit us up on Twitter, DM, post, wherever. Um, you can message any one of us individually if that's more your thing to, add, to tell us what you want us to talk about or just give feedback in general. You can also be sure also be sure to like, subscribe, follow, whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts or on all the major platforms. We also post to Viva the Matadors directly, so you can just listen to it within the articles there. Um, but I'm assuming most of you are more Spotify people, so feel free to subscribe to us there, follow us, whatever the term is. Um, have a good one, guys. Wreck them, and let's enjoy the rest of the basketball season. We're just getting started.